0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mobile UX London, which is Europe's most forward-thinking UX and design conference. It's happening on the 20th of November, and it's in central London. Uh, It's covering topics like augmented reality, virtual reality, and, of course, voice. Speakers there are from Google, the speakers there from Just Eat, and a whole host of other innovative digital companies working on a whole host of innovative projects in the emerging tech. Field. The conference is looking at how emerging technology is going to and is changing design. Uh, it looks it's set to be an absolutely amazing day. If you go to mobileuxlondon.com, you can find your tickets there. And if you use promo code VUXWorld, you'll save 20%. Go check it out right now, and I'll see you there on the 20th of November. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello there, Dustin. Welcome again.
1: Hey Kane, how's it going?
0: Yes, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. How's it going over there?
1: Good. I'm. Ex- I'm excited about this show today. It's about a Netflix show uh, or the work for a Netflix show, so I can finally justify all those hours I spent watching Netflix <laughs> instead of doing work. <laughs> it was just research. It wasn't just. Uh, <laughs> Vegging
0: out. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it is. It's going to be good. Today's guest is Tony Leezer of Apollo Matrix. Apollo worked with a large agency, Moth and Flame, on a Netflix uh, piece of content, as Dustin said, which was a interactive voice and video experience for the Netflix show. 13 Reasons Why whereby, and it's, it's on a mobile so it's it's in within a mobile browser, which has quite a few challenges, Dustin, does it not?
1: Yeah, lots of challenges and I think it's going to be interesting to hear how, how Tony and his team got around those challenges.
0: <laughs> so this one is taking, uh, it takes kind of like slightly more of a technical turn and uh, Dustin, you must have been kind of rolling your sleeves up and licking your lips at some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's uh it was great to d- dig into
0: it ladies and gentlemen without further ado this is tony and this is vux world so yeah cheers for joining us tony um we'll get into it if you like and we'll uh maybe start with your background tony and go through that and then we'll maybe have a chat about the project and what it was and how it works and stuff and then um get into some of the challenges you had and and whatnot and then see see kind of where the conversation goes really yep
2: sure sure yes so uh yeah my background is i'm i'm a project manager for uh, a company called apollo matrix and we do uh Primarily mobile and web apps, but we've been getting more into uh, video and new media. We've uh, we've part we've we've partnered up with a uh, a New York based production company uh, called Moth and Flame, um, and and my boss is the CEO of my company, and he's the general manager of this this production company, Moth and Flame, and really sort of a you know a personal union where. The two companies are are separate, but they work very closely together. And uh, yeah, so we did uh, a lot of work with uh, virtual reality and new media. And we were approached by Netflix to uh, create an immersive, interactive, promotional experience for the second season of the show, 13 Reasons Why which is, uh, it's, it's the biggest show that Netflix has going right now. I I remember, and I I didn't have time to fact check this, but, um, our director said that the, the biggest premiere in Netflix history, the biggest show in Netflix history was 13 Reasons Why. And the second biggest is 13 Reasons Why season (laughs) two. So yeah. So yeah, we, we had our work cut out for us. Um, so, so the, the key, uh, driving factor here was that it's primarily a marketing experience. Uh, It wasn't considered to be an app or a product. Um, So, the upshot of that is that they were really keen on having it be a mobile web experience rather than a native app. Um, So... The, the real issue there is that uh, native mobile is a lot easier to do voice and video in. Um, voice, video, interactive voice works really well on web, it works really well in uh, native mobile, but it, it's still unproven, it's very bleeding edge in mobile web. Which is exactly what we had to do. Um, the, the The problem is that you're using uh, some some new APIs that uh, really just got introduced to uh, mobile Safari and and Android, Android Chrome, uh, and they they really they don't work on older versions of browsers, and they don't work at all in walled garden browsers. So. Things like uh, the Facebook WebKit browser and the Instagram browser, Snapchat browser, uh, they don't work at all. So uh, what we had By to the do way, there the was off. create... The microphone
0: um... is back on. Oops, sorry. I was... Sorry, I was... Come Google on. Home. I was put sorry. I was putting Google so, at Home on mute there, and she just decided to go crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that.
2: um, no, that's perfectly fine. Um, so yeah, there were a number of tech, you know, technological challenges like that, and several others that were uh, similar but as challenging. Um, but. Yeah, it was. We, we, th- this was one of the several issues that you know that we had to work through.
0: Mm. So we'll probably we'll get into those those details um, on on those challenges in a sec. Can we just back up for a little a little second and, and can you just kind of explain sure. for the listeners what this interactive voice and video experience is? So how uh, how does it work? How would you interact with it? What what kind of is it?
2: Uh, right, right. yeah. so so the uh, the the interactive experience is a, it's an eight minute uh, experience that simulates a an iPhone, and a user takes calls and receives texts from the different characters in the show. Uh, and based on the the way the user responds to the questions the character asks, Uh, that will influence the narrative so there's a a branching narrative and and sort of a choose your own adventure uh, type feel to it
0: so it's almost like um, I'll put the link to the clip that you sent over in the show notes Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like it's like a FaceTime call isn't it with the characters and then they'll have you kind of make a decision for them and then depending on what you decide that then takes the story into a different sort of direction
2: uh, yeah, that's that's exactly right. And there are a number of different scenes uh, where uh, a character will pose one or more questions to the user, and uh, you'll get you get different results based on how you answer.
0: Okay. And then, what was why was the decision to, to make it a a kind of what what it wasn't native mobile? You said it was a mo, in a mobile browser. You said didn't you?
2: Right. Yep. Yep. So so. Practically speaking, uh, what Netflix was looking for was something that was going to have low friction to adoption. Uh, They didn't want people to have to download a mobile app uh, in order to get started. They want something that they would be able to uh, put advertisements for on uh, places like Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, and the like, and have people start to use it uh, more or less immediately. So. That really kind of forced our hand on on the mobile web thing. Hmm.
0: And what was what was kind of, what was your role in it? I think, did you get involved further down the line post-production or were you involved at the start in terms of the design and, and the kind of creation of it all? Uh,
2: that's, the, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so a lot of the work that I did was on the the more technical side. So I was involved in the technical side from, from the very beginning. Um, putting together the back end and working as a project manager to, to build the more technical aspects of, uh, of the experience. So basically, you know, back end and, and anything that touched uh, the back end in, in a technical way. And then I got brought in to uh, assist with some of the production and post-production specifically around localization. So uh, Netflix being... You know, the company that it is with an international reach, uh, they wanted to release the experience in uh, eight additional language, eight additional languages to, to English. Um, and so that, that was a non-trivial task, putting all of that together. Uh, just, yeah, coordinating, putting together all of the, the, the different clips and working with the sound guys and, and working with the translators and the linguists on the Netflix side. Um, so that was, yeah, another part of the portfolio.
0: Mm. Have you have you done much, Dustin, in on the voice and video side?
1: Voice and video, no. I'm really interested to hear from you, Tony, some of these technical challenges that you encountered. It's ones that I've encountered quite a bit, and uh, I'm interested in hearing primarily what solutions you came up with.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah, several challenges. Um, I, I sort of. Uh, started talking a little bit about uh, you know, get user media, uh, which was the the way that we handled um, the the voice aspect in in the mobile browser. Um, it's it was really very bleeding edge at the time. It had only been out for a few months when we started work, Brand. and even then, yeah, it was only supported in Safari eleven and I think uh, Android Chrome sixty four. Uh, so. What we had to do, we had to create a, uh, you know, a tap through fallback experience. And uh, from there, there there were design challenges trying to get folks to, when they could, uh, abandon the the walled garden if they were coming in through, you know, Facebook or uh, Snapchat or something like that. And then open up the app in, you know, Safari or Android Chrome.
1: And I want to back up for just a moment. You you talked about something, and we've got a lot of developers listening, in, but we also have a lot of designers and business people as well. Uh, you mentioned something get user media. What's that?
2: Right, right, yeah. So so get
1: user media
2: is it's an API that handles uh, media from the user's device, so voice and video. It allows the browser to control the microphone, and the uh the camera so yeah part of the experience is uh as as kane said it's uh, a series of FaceTime conversations so there's part of the uh the scenes where you'll be able to see yourself sort of as uh you know as a participant in the conversations
1: okay and so this is where let's say if you're a user on the mobile device uh you're going to see a pop-up or something like that that says. Mm-hmm website once used you use your microphone or your camera right right exactly so and did you see that as a a big leap or a big uh barrier for adoption for this
2: uh as problems go not really yeah. um yeah we 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 had the, the main thing was sort of getting around uh the, the issues with support for get user media. Um, probably far and away the biggest challenge we had was putting together the tap-through experience to support walled gardens, or walled garden browsers. A, and what's a tap-through experience? So, right, so so yeah, tap-through uh, is is a version of the experience we put together uh, as a fallback where instead of responding to the, the user prompts over, you know, using voice, uh, there were buttons that would appear on the screen where the, a user could tap on the options that uh, they, they wanted to select.
1: Okay. And so if we think about the, the interaction model, does this involve as well branching off, uh, I assume, based on what the user is saying as well? So you have to have that speech-to-text component too?
2: Uh, it's, it's not necessary that you have to uh, speak, but the user's choices will drive the narrative. So it's, it's either going to be that the user speaks or the user taps. Okay. okay. So yeah, that's what drives, yeah, that's what drives the, the branching narrative.
1: Yeah. That, that's, that's really interesting to me because, uh, I work a lot on, on the web, uh, on mobile and on mm-hmm. desktop web. And, uh, as, as soon as you leave Chrome, uh, the, mm-hmm. this- Text is non-existent, as you know. Right, Uh, How how did you guys uh, solve that? What did you do? Did you turn to any specific APIs? What was the solution there? Sorry, what was the question? Uh, To get the speech to text, get the text outside of Chrome, which is the only browser that supports it right now, uh, uh, did you pull in any external APIs for that? Right, yeah. No, that's, yeah,
2: that's, a, that's a great question. So, yeah, we, we actually, as, as part of the development efforts, we built our own back end. Uh, we used a library called Pocket Sphinx to do the, uh, the voice detection. Uh, but then we, we used Google's speech detection API as, uh, as a fallback. Uh, so we did that in order to improve performance so that the, the API, so yeah, so that the app did not need to call the Google API and it was faster. Uh, and we also did it to save money so that we, we didn't have to in, incur the cost of going to Google's API every time. Um, so yeah, it ended up working out and saving uh, the folks at Netflix a, a good deal of, of money in that respect.
1: Right, but uh, no, those Google APIs can be quite expensive mm-hmm.
2: sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. And but you mentioned that you would fall back to the Google API sometimes. What was that mechanism?
2: Uh, so we attempted to use the the Pocket Sphinx uh, library to uh, to. Parse and do the voice detection, uh, but if the Pocket Sphinx uh, library came back with no match, it would try to use the the Google uh, API.
0: Sorry, is that when you would determine to use the, the, the Tap experience? If that didn't work out, you would then show the the Tap options.
2: Uh, yeah, so that's that's a good question. Um, so typically, if if there was no match. Um, that's when there would be uh, a, a repeat uh, within the flow where the user or the character would ask the question again. Um, but uh, in in terms of determining whether the uh, the voice or the tap experience w- gets used, it's uh, it's based on um, device or, or browser.
1: Okay, and the so Kane mentioned. Uh, if the the Pocket Sphinx doesn't come back with a result, as you mentioned as well, how was the performance overall with Pocket Sphinx? Uh,
2: it's yeah, it's actually pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. It 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 operates in a way that uh, makes makes you feel like it's a conversation. So there's there's a little bit of a lag, but but it's nothing that you wouldn't see in a regular conversation where a user hears what you're saying and it takes them you know a split second to respond.
1: And so you would you would recommend that somebody use that if they wanted speech to text on mobile web then? Uh, yeah, I would. Yep. Yep.
0: Cool. You spoke about walled gardens. Is that by that do you mean, for example, if somebody tried to access the experience within Facebook and it used Facebook's browser? Is that what you mean?
2: Yeah. Exactly. So.
0: So what what was some of the the. Uh, problems there. Then you couldn't use the, you couldn't get hold of people's mics, if or cameras if they were within Facebook. Is that right? Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, we couldn't get you. We couldn't. We couldn't use the camera or the microphone if they were in uh, Facebook or Instagram or uh, Snapchat. And and this is uh, an injunction that still exists, I believe. I think you st- the, the those browsers do not support uh, get user media. Um, so we, we supported the, uh, the tap through experience immediately there. So the, the difference there is we, we had the, the choice prompts, the buttons come up immediately um, after the character gets done speaking the, the choice to the user so that they could just tap it immediately, whereas before, in the, uh, yeah, the voice experience, there would be a pause where the user could speak. Um, but since the user can't speak in the walled garden, the buttons come up immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then partway through the experience, we, uh, we pop up a notification to the user, letting them know that uh, if they visit uh, the URL for the experience, if they go to talktothereasons.com, uh, in, in their, in Safari or Android Chrome, they can view the experience, uh, using their voice or in in voice mode.
0: Okay. So you wouldn't try, so you didn't try and get them straight into the, the interactive voice experience immediately. You would just take it as if they're in a social media, uh, environment, then you wouldn't try and get them over to the, the browser. You would just kind of straight away go with the tap experience.
2: Uh, right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So yeah, there there was a, uh, a, a, a an inflection point where we would prompt the user. We would we would ask them. We would let them know that there was a you know a voice option uh, at the front end. Uh, but, but if they were to proceed into the uh, you know, the tap through experience, if they were to proceed anyway, uh, then part of the way through, we would give them another uh, another notification that the voice experience is an option.
1: And how did the the interaction numbers measure up between the, the tap experience and the voice experience? Did you see one being used more often for longer than the other?
2: Uh, right. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we actually found that people spent more time on voice uh, because I think what was happening is that people abandoned the, the tap through uh, once they... Saw that they were able to uh, get the voice experience. So either immediately or part of the way through, uh, they they you know they abandoned the tap through experience and then you know opened up the experience in mm. Safari or Chrome.
0: That's interesting. So what it, what that would lead us to believe then is that actually, if you provide an interactive voice experience, then that's actually preferable in certain environments to to what people would typically be accustomed to, which is what you're likely to find everywhere else at the moment is, is a tap-in kind of experience. It's interesting that people would prefer to use the voice, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you can draw a, a general conclusion from that or if it's just because the experience is is so uh, visceral and emotional. Um, people, particularly with 13 Reasons Why, Um You know, young people really connect with the show and they feel a bond with the characters. Um, So if they're able to speak to the characters and have the characters talk back to them, um, that's something that they, you know, they want to do rather than just, you know, uh, booking a flight or something like that or, you know, doing something transactional. um, Whereas, you know, maybe they might be more keen on on tapping through in, in a case like that
0: that's interesting what was what was have you had any kind of um user feedback in terms of um how people found that kind of interactive voice and video kind of experience have you had any i don't know any either reviews or any kind of feedback from customers in terms of what their thoughts are on it
2: um yeah yeah so so one of the things that we did we actually i i I didn't do this I wasn't part of this experience um, but uh, there was a usability study at Netflix um, a couple of months before the release of the experience uh, where they got fans of the show to uh, to demo the experience um, and I mean it, it got good reviews people liked interacting with the character um, but the uh, sort of the emotional aspect that I, I started to talk about earlier, really hit home uh, in that some of the characters, or rather some of the participants found one interaction in particular to be very jarring and uh, overly emotional, and it's it was actually a scene where the user speaks to the show's villain. Um, and yeah, we actually we had to remove that in favor of uh, something else. Uh, we, we changed it into a, a text interaction.
0: So people were why was that then was that was that because the villain was particularly villainish yeah he's,
2: he's particularly <laughs> yeah he's particularly loathsome uh yeah even as villains go it's it's not it's not one of these uh sort of you know modern tv anti-hero kind of things he's just he's just an outright villain yeah nobody likes him uh-huh. uh, yeah uh so that was one thing um, but yeah, it's, it's been getting a lot of positive media after release. Um, Refinery29 did a piece, it was in, uh, Teen Vogue, uh, and then it was, uh, it was actually nominated for an Emmy, um, for, yeah, one of the production Emmys for, uh, uh let's see if I can remember the name of it. It's, mm-hmm. uh, Out- Outstanding Technical Achievement, uh, in a scripted series or, or something like that.
0: Wow. Well, it had, didn't it have the actual show's producer was behind the actual design and creation side of it. What's that? Wasn't it wasn't it the, the actual producer of the show was behind the creative side of things? Is uh, that right? Or was yeah, it the that, writers well, or something like that?
2: That's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, so our production shop, uh, Moth and Flame, uh, actually wrote and directed the, the video clips uh, that were a part of the experience but it's it's one of these things where you, you know you can't do it without the blessing of the showrunner so you know he, he was he was involved um, but you know he wasn't in everyday meetings or anything like that
0: hmm. and how did that work in terms of the the relationship between apollo matrix moth and flame and netflix how how did all of that sort of work together? Were you doing the technical stuff? They were doing the creative stuff, and Netflix was signing it off. Was that kind of how it all worked?
2: Ah, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So so earlier, um, Netflix when I when I was talking about the you know the creative process, um, yeah, Netflix did uh, sign off. But I mean, just in in terms of uh, production, they actually have uh, you know an internal digital producer um, who is uh one of the folks who's nominated for the emmy um so it's not yeah it wasn't the showrunner that uh yeah that we worked with but there yeah there, there were plenty of folks at netflix who had you know creative and and technical input uh yeah on the experience but yeah i mean that that is the breakdown uh you know apollo matrix handled a lot of the cre- or the uh, technical component uh moth and flame did production uh, and and some creative and, uh, you know, Netflix, you know, managed it, uh, you know, a, approved and gave uh, creative insight and direction.
0: Hmm. What about, I think one of the, we had this discussion, Dustin, sim, kind of this discussing with Oren Jacob of Polestring. And he was saying that certainly on the Alexa platform, when it comes to sound design, you've got to be very careful with how you kind of piece together two bits of audio do you remember he was saying that because you've only got one channel you kind of got a you've got some audio playing and then the user will respond and then you need to resume from where you left off but kind mm-hmm. of make it natural and flowing do you remember when he was saying about that yeah yeah so how how do you do how do you make kind of one interaction piece smoothly together with another interaction when it's video. Because presumably you kind of, if if we're FaceTiming in that Mm -hmm. kind of interactive experience and then I get to make a decision, one decision will lead the character to start saying something else and another decision will lead them to say something else. Both of those will be two separate pieces of video. Both pieces of video will be separate from the original piece of video. So how do you stitch together all of those different pieces of video and keep the kind of thing interactive and make it kind of smooth so that it's not clip to clip to clip to clip kind of thing how do you mm-hmm. stitch together the video
2: uh right yeah yeah that's that was actually that was another challenge as well but uh you know i'm i'm, I'm a level removed from that as I'm, I'm not on the production side but um generally what we did was that was, that was part of how we, uh, we created the, the video clips. Uh, there was a lot of attention paid to where the users were, how they were sitting, you know, what, what direction their face was in, um, in order to support those, those transitional moments. Um, and then, then were there was, there was a bit of post-production work that we did as well to, uh, uh, you know, sort of strategically blur the videos uh, so that they look so that it looks like a you know, a standard FaceTime call. Um, but yeah, but but it but the you know, the advantage there was that we were also able to use it to hide the uh, you know, the, the transitions <laughs> a <Yeah>. little better,
0: <laughs> Simulate in a bit of a dodgy internet connection.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a good yeah, idea. I
2: mean, it's yeah, it's, it's supposed to be uh, you know, two characters are are talking and and you know one of them is in his car um and so he doesn't have Wi Fi. So it's I mean it really it, it doesn't exactly strain credibility for uh you know for, for for the videos to display like that.
1: And and that brings up a good question. On the technical side, did you did you give any thought to poor connections, drop connections even?
2: Uh, yes, yes, we, we, we did. Um, there, there were, uh, you know, just a a couple of, uh, messages that we display to, uh, you know, to the user if they didn't have a sufficient connection. Um, and of course we, uh, we, we, we played the lowest, most compressed, uh, possible quality of videos just in order to, uh, to have it perform as well as possible. Um, because we know that people aren't necessarily going to have a Wi-Fi connection when they're, they're looking at this. Um, so yeah, we, we, we had it perform, uh, as well as I think we possibly could have given, uh, the experience that we were, uh, putting together. Um, but yeah, there's, there, there, there would be uh, a chance that some people could disconnect and, have a poor connection so you know we we, we covered those contingencies
0: hmm. does that mean you would need to have a few different versions of the video and you would serve up the the most compressed kind of lower quality one um if you detected a slow connection or would you just always go with the lowest common denominator and just try and squash the videos down as much yeah, as you we, can
2: yep yeah, yeah we squashed the videos down uh to as low as as low as we could um Just because it's, the videos in question are, you know, they're FaceTime or chat. um, And so, you know, they they don't have to be full HD video. Uh,
1: Yeah. And did that, were there any problems on that front the other direction with the voice input as well?
2: Um not as much uh because what yeah what we did was and this was something i think we did on the front end but we you know we downsampled the audio um in order you know before it got taken into the back end and then uh yeah processed it and then you know sent it sent it back um via the the script engine that we built as part of the back end
1: and is that that's it Actually, interesting, that backend now, if you wanted to do other other voice projects, could you reuse that backend or is that something that you're going to have to rebuild each time?
2: Uh, no, we, we could actually, uh, we could do other voice projects with it. Yeah.
1: Cool. So we, we might see a lot more voice projects coming down the pipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would expect that there'd be a couple more things that will be happening in
2: short order. Um, but yeah, we, we built it as a product. Um, so yeah, it's something that, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be able to use again.
0: Cool. What are some of the, had you worked on voice prior to this or was this your kind of first voice project?
2: Uh, so yeah, we had had a couple of collaborations with uh, Moth and Flame uh, previous to this, but much of it, it was it was smaller stuff. Um, so we, we did something for uh, IMAX where we, we released a, an augmented reality app uh, with a talking panda.
0: hmm That sounds good. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. Just like a, Who doesn't love a talking yeah, I mean, panda? It's, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, it, no, it was mm-hmm. great. So what advice would you have for, because I think that the voice and video thing, um is something that I, I think that it's going to start happening more and more that because you've got your likes of you know the echo shows and the echo spots with a screen and i know that google quite like the sort of multimodal kind of experience and at the moment it's a bit a little bit primitive in terms of your responses certainly on the echo it's essentially just an image but i can certainly see that things will advance where interactive Video becomes certainly more kind of prevalent, and I think that judging by the the video of of the In Reasons Why, and I, I haven't quite hooked up the VPN to have a go at the actual experience, but judging by the video, it looks it looks really really good. Um, so what would your sort of advice be, in, for people who might be thinking about moving or doing something with voice and video, you know, what would your kind of key pointers be based on what you've done with with Netflix?
2: Um. <laughs> my key pointer would probably be, um, consider using native mobile, um, <laughs> just because of, uh, you know, the issues associated with, um, mobile web and we, we overcame them, but, um, they, they, they were a little difficult, um, just in a technical sense. Yeah. I would say unless you had a really, really great case for mobile web, um, yeah, native mobile would be a, you know, is it is a great way forward there, um, and the you know, the the other part is um, don't be afraid to uh, use something that has already been. Don't reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, if you've got to use an off-the-shelf or an open-source library like Pocket Sphinx, or even integrate with uh, you know the Google Voice APIs or you know, something else like Alexa or Watson. Yeah, buy, don't build. Hmm.
0: Good advice, Dustin. Anything else? Any closing thoughts on this?
1: No, I, I thought this was great. It's it's an interesting perspective that we don't hear about very mm-hmm. often. We're we're talking a lot about Alexa. We're talking a lot about Google Assistant. We don't talk as much, I think, industry wide as uh, as voice on mobile, which is a little surprising. I read a stat recently that fifty percent of voice interactions are happening on mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to hear that your team built this entire interactive experience entirely on mobile and on mobile web is oh, fantastic. I think people should go check it out uh, just to play with it, but also to get ideas. Well, thanks so much.
0: And where, where can people check it out, Tony? Where can people uh, head to, to have a look?
2: Yeah, if they go to uh, talktothereasons.com on their phone, uh, either on Safari, if they're on an iPhone, or Android Chrome, if they're on an Android device, um, and the other thing is, is that there is a uh, geographical embargo um, based on uh, the countries that Netflix has decided to release the experience in. Uh, yeah, sorry, guys, the UK <laughs> is uh, still under embargo. But I know that, uh, yeah, the US, Canada, Mexico, um, not sure the exact countries, um, but that it may be uh, extended to other places around the globe. Mm-hmm.
0: Fantastic. And where can people find out a little bit more about yourself or Apollo Matrix? Uh,
2: If they go to our website, uh, apollomatrix.com, we have uh, a lot of information about our uh, uh, prior projects and some of the work that we do.
0: Fantastic. Tony, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. As Dustin said, that is an immensely immense achievement to get all of that working in in a mobile browser. I'll definitely encourage everybody to go and check that out. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing those challenges with us uh, and sharing your experiences. It's been absolutely fantastic.
2: Oh, thanks so much, guys.
0: That was Tony Leiser of Apollo Matrix talking about uh, voice and video, interactive voice and video implementation. Um, I'm glad we got into some of the technical detail there and Dustin is going to be doing a lot more of these kind of episodes uh, for you developers out there to get into some of the technical details of uh, voice first and voice uh, development. So look out for some of those episodes coming soon. Um, Thank you, Tony. That was such an interesting discussion. Uh, I think voice and video is going to become something that is a... Uh, certainly more common that that kind of interactive experience is absolutely fantastic it's interactive cinema i can see that you know new films launching new series launching i can see all of those having uh, something very similar to this in future and i can see this being a thing in its own right i can see you know specific series being created based on an interactive uh, video and voice experience i think that's that's probably the next step for uh content production i can certainly see that uh taking off interesting some of the challenges that you faced uh when designing or implementing on a mobile browser and if you are uh thinking about doing something similar then heed tony's advice and probably stay away from mobile browsers in future and try and use the the native mobile uh, experience instead um interesting conversation I'm glad that uh, Tony was able to join us thank you Tony for for joining us thank you Dustin as well and thank you all for listening now until next time see you later